from the uh, from the office there and said this is the last week for Operation Christmas Child boxes. So this is your chance. Take them, bring them back by next Sunday. Let's get that on your on your calendar there. Well, we have finished our series in Genesis, and yet it's still, including today, three weeks until Advent. What are we going to do? And so today we're going to talk about Reformation Sunday. That's the Sunday that's closest to October 31st every year. And before I really get into the sermon here, maybe I ought to just say a word of why. Right? Why do we care about this thing that happened a little over 500 years ago, and so what about it? What if I told you that almost everything that we have done in our church service this morning stemmed from changes that came out of the Reformation? Right? Uh, that you heard the scripture read in English rather than in Latin? a change made at the Reformation, that in a few moments when I call you to open your Bibles, uh, that you have a Bible, that you even have access to it, that it's not just you up here, and you trusting what I'm telling you right up here. That was a change that the Reformation brought about. Uh, next week, when we take communion, uh, that you will be able to have both the bread and the cup was not true before the Reformation. Um, and almost everything that was true, uh, even music, thank you, Martin Luther, for that wonderful song, that not just the hymns, but even congregational singing as we do. So you say, what does the Reformation matter? And I say, well, at least as far as how we do church, how we gather together, it's the foundation of almost all of this. At the Reformation, everything we're doing would be different. That's why it matters. That's why we're going to uh, talk a little bit about the Reformation today. Let me start, though, by asking you a question. Doesn't it feel like we're at a very tense time in our world? A time when everything has, it seems like it's been changing so much. You know, especially the last few years in COVID, it kind of accelerated all kinds of trends and things in our society. And it's a time when, when it seems like everything is poised to change, perhaps even more. Whether it's with uh, midterm elections, whether it's with whatever's going to happen in, you know, in the fall and winter and then in the new year. We're, we're in this, well, for a lot of us, probably an uncomfortable time in life, hasn't it? There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of anger instead of peace out there. A lot of struggle, even poverty, rather than the prosperity that at least many folks in this nation have known. And this morning, I'd like us to see that this time isn't unique. That the Bible has something to say about times of uncertainty and challenge like ours because there was a similar time in Israel's history. Elijah the prophet had been standing in the gap uh, for quite a while acting as the spiritual head of uh, what that time was a divided 
kingdom, one that was prone to worship anyone or anything other than the Lord. His role had often put him into personal peril and trial and challenge. He certainly uh, was not the most popular person around Israel in those days. And yet the Lord had used him mightily. Right? Even if you say Elijah, um, I suspect whether you're familiar with his whole story or not, you probably know, oh, yeah, that was one of those really great prophets of the Lord way back when. And what's unique about Elijah ultimately is not his own personal skillfulness or even his own personal circumstances said was facing similar problems today, but rather it was how Elijah looked to the Lord. Right, so what we're going to see from Elijah this morning is how great his God is and his God is able. Right, isn't that amazing? That the, the trials and struggles and problems of the past, maybe they hadn't gone away, but neither has our God. And his faithfulness has not changed one bit. Now, it's commonly held that the Reformation began with Martin Luther's nailing of his 95 theses. Uh, it was basically 95 um, invitations to debate with the Catholic Church. He nailed them to a church door in Wittenberg on October 31st of 1517. To zoom forward a little bit in time, another date. Our first pastor here at First E3 was called on October 23rd, 1935. And here's the question what's the connection between two cities and Wittenberg? Well, it's the Lord we serve. It's the Lord who is the same yesterday and today and forever. The God who keeps his promises, the Savior who rescues his people from their sins. Uh, Elijah, Martin Luther, and us. In uncertain times, right, in this era of, uh, of change and of transition, what we cannot forget, what we must not forget, is that the Lord has not. row seats to this here at First E3. We're at uh, three different facilities. This is the third. Uh, a main stage, which is Servia Federique. We were originally Bethel Evangelical Church. Amen. And now 14 Crossroads. That's a lot of space. Our God is at work today every bit as he's been at work, not just in the past, as we're going to see here in a moment, not just in kind of big picture, the churches worldwide past, but also our past here at First E3. He's doing miracles that are no less, no smaller than we've seen before. Our Savior is using people of this very church, leaders and volunteers and everyone in between in ways that are no different than they 
heroes of our own church's history. And I want us to examine a snapshot in 2 Kings chapter 2 to see for ourselves what it looks like to trust this, this unchanging, gracious God, even as the world changes around us, even as our own lives change and transform and adapt. What does it look like to look to this steadfast Savior? Second Kings chapter 2. I'd invite you to turn there or browse there or however you get to God's Word. And again, isn't it amazing right, that I can even Second Kings chapter two. We'll start with preparing for a storm. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets, who were in Bethel, came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? He answered, Yes, I know it. Prepare for change. Uh, Elijah has, to this point, enjoyed a, a long and miracle-filled ministry of serving the Lord, of, of speaking his words to the people. Right? What a privilege that would have been to speak the words of God in a land that spiritually was dry as dust. And Elijah was speaking these words of life to them Like any human, this side of the fall, Elijah stays grounded. Uh, in this case, it's not because Elijah is going to physically die. There's one more miracle to be seen there. Instead, the Lord has, has spared him that particular experience. He's going to miraculously bring him directly to heaven. No, I don't know what that's like. I can, I'm only sure I can imagine what that's like. We'll read about that in a minute. But here's my question. What's that going to mean for the future of God's people in Israel? What's it going to mean when Elijah, that, that ray of hope speaking God's word, is taken away? A dark land, spiritually. Who could ever fill Elijah's shoes? 
in an era that seemed to be going from, from bad to worse, Elijah was this ray of hope to the faithful remnant of God's people. What are they going to do in this world? I want to suggest that we are at a similar point of transition. As I reread and edited the sermon, I added this. I'm not referring to my own role here. And you, they really kind of knew. Thought we were getting there, right? No, I mean, many of you in all kinds of ways have been a part of the ministry of First East Lee for longer than I've been alive. And what a testimony to the work of God in and through First East Lee. Uh, others of you have come to us more, more recently, either maybe brought up in this church or, or as God's mysterious ways, he's, he's directed you here. And for all of us, a time is coming, maybe soon, maybe later, I don't know, when leadership and ministries and key positions will need to change hands. What will that look like for us? Do you see how we have the same questions, we have the same uncertainties as Israel way back then? You know, I think we've all seen examples of the uncertainty that this makes in, in churches, in businesses, in governments. You know, a, a beloved and skilled leader's time has come for them to, to retire, to, to step aside. To, the Lord's moving them to do something different. And we wonder, will it ever be the same? It's, it's said elsewhere in the Bible, as God's glory Maybe we think, you know, well, that's the end of the golden era. It's all downhill from here. But it doesn't have to be. Indeed, I'd argue that it shouldn't be like that. It won't be for Israel, and it shouldn't be for First East Lee. Think of the first disciples. You know, they, they mourned what they thought of as, as Christ's death. Not only at his crucifixion, but do you remember the start of Acts? his ascension to go be with the Father. What did they do after that? I mean, yes, they're still up in heaven until the angels said, hey, come on, guys, are you good? But what did they do? They didn't sit around and, and think, well, you know, our best days are behind us. Nothing we can do now. No one can say Christ to you. It's true. Except Jesus didn't ask anyone to sit and Instead, what did the disciples do? Well, the book of Acts tells us they got on with the mission. They, they transformed the world. Right? Just as I gave a, a, kind of a brief reversal of how the Reformation has changed us, do you realize that what has happened in the book of Acts has defined us? That's where we see the church coming together into these these entities from one city to another. It's where we see missionaries being sent out to plant still further churches. It's where we see a lot of the, you know, those first debates of, okay, how do we do church? How do we worship the Lord? How do we make disciples? Right? Well, the early church was trying to work all that out. That's why there's so much messiness after the gospel. I've heard it said, I think this is great, that in, in many ways, 
prophet of the Old Testament points forward to Jesus. Jesus is in, revealed, his life is spelled out in the Gospels, and the rest of the New Testament is pretty much a commentary on what Jesus has taught. So it's not introducing anything new, it's saying, okay, how do we take what the Master entrusted to us and, and do it and live it and, and pass it on to the next generation? And so it is here. And so it is for us. And these disciples, they got on with the mission of being disciples, of training up still further disciples. And that brings up a question for us. How do we follow in these same footsteps? First, I want you to recognize that Elijah's departure doesn't mean God was done taking. Back in 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah had taken on a, uh, a helper, an assistant, a protege. And this came at a particularly dramatic time in Elijah's life. It was a time when he was literally being hunted by the government of the land. It was a time when, well, when he thought he was one of the only ones. It, it seemed like the world was burning to Elijah. Yet, God had other plans. And one of those plans was to connect Elijah with Elisha farther, who would end up being his successor. And there are some of you who are presently in situations of leadership here. And you're concerned, perhaps, with what the Lord is going to do in this church in the future. Do you worry about the next generation rising up in this congregation? If so, then let me encourage you that the same Lord who used you, who has transformed you over the decades, who drew you in all kinds of ways through joys and trials, through successes and mistakes, that God has not changed. And he will do the same thing for the next generation of this church also. Your task trust the Lord, even as you figure out, okay, what, what, how do I pass this baton, and, and, and when, and okay, you know, maybe that's still a ways off, how can I prepare for it? What does it look like to do that well? And I know that whatever else it looks like, it looks like trusting the Lord, looking to the Savior, even in the midst of transition Elijah's departure doesn't mean God is done. Here's the second. For Elisha, for those of you who are my age and younger, there's such saying as that, isn't there? But two challenges arise in these verses. Two uh, tests of faithfulness, you might say. Will we respect our word? Will we be patient enough to learn? Uh, both are traits that, very frankly, our world has not trained us well to embrace. Here in the Western world, what's old is bad. It's, it's incomplete. It's, you know, we're, we're far more brilliant every new generation. That's not true. I realize that's the narrative that seems to push everyone. It's simply not true. 
history shows us that it's not completely easy to turn in a quote, even though we're supposedly fairly reliable. So if you are younger, maybe you don't even know what the Lord's going to do. Maybe maybe the Lord will move you on from here to somewhere else. I don't know. But wherever you are in following after Christ, resolve now to cry out to the Lord to make you one who is respectful, to make you one who is eager to learn. And I don't mean being a doormat. I don't mean being a someone who, you know, nods and agrees with everything just because it's supposed to. need to recognize that we don't have all the answers. But the biggest challenges in this congregation, just like in our world, are not easily solved. There is not a one-size-fits-all answer to all the things of the world other than the gospel applied to life in every possible way. And of course, we hear all about all that triggering stuff that happens we exist, that's that's what what making disciples is about. One other thing, though, it also means we need to pray for patience. Just as older generations need to be patient with younger, so younger generations need to be patient with older. And this is one reason why we as a church do multi-generational ministry. Now, yeah, there's some things in Sunday school that we divide out by age, roughly, Generally, that's not what we do throughout our church. There's a lot of reasons for that. I'll save that for another sermon, but here's one reason why. We need to interact with, respect, learn from one another and grow together. That's the strength that God has given to this church. And I also believe that's one of the true markers of a genuine Christian life. Paul himself notes this in 1 Corinthians 13. These are the, the, the preparatory heart and attitude work that, that we all need, young, old, whatever your role is, whatever you're volunteering. I mean, maybe, maybe you're not volunteering formally. Maybe you're doing something behind the scenes. Maybe you're new to this whole Christian thing, and for you, it's sitting here in the pew, and you're, you're a fire hose of God's word, right? Whatever your calling these are the They don't fully answer the question, do they? I mean, what about when the transition time really does come? What about when change isn't just out there, but when it's right here, undeniable? What do we do then? What should that look like? And we've seen Elisha's answer to this point. Well, did you notice, by the way, he's, he's not quick to say, all right, Elijah, it's my turn. Get out of here. Even when others say, hey, don't you know everything's changing? No, 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 keep quiet. Come back and stay here. And I don't want to speak it in these But what about when it does change? Well, keep reading. Look at verse 10. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, If the Lord lives, and if you yourself live, will not leave So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood some distance from them, 
as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other, so the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. He said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw them no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. As we must prepare for the transition, we must also make the handoff from the time of death. Did you catch Elijah's generous offer? What could he do to help Elisha to take up the role? Uh, Elijah's concern was not just with his own legacy, not just with his own self, his own comfort, what he wanted to do. Instead, it was to do all he could to help Elisha step into the ministry that the Lord had appointed for him. Friends, this is the sort of question we need every possible level, uh, right? Um, even if it's, hey, just with discipleship, how can I help someone else grow in the Lord? Not what do I want to do and, you know, and, and they just need to conform and they'll grow, but how can I help? How can I reach out and meet them where they are so that they will grow in the Lord? What does that look like? Maybe for uh, some of you who've been long in the saddle of ministry, what can you do to support, encourage, and equip this next generation of Christ's servants? Whether it's serving on your church board, whether it's um, doing you know one of the roles around here at the church that, that doesn't have a nice title behind it. A, a younger Christian, how they themselves will grow to disciple yet another generation? How can you help that to happen? What can your role be? What I see from here with Elijah is that you need to be asking that question. It's a different question than we might expect, isn't it? Because it's a question that focuses on what's best for Christ's church, what's best for Christ's people rather than what's best for for yourself for my own preferences. So how would you ask? And how will you ask? In the time of death? I'm not saying I have a one size fits all answer. I'm asking myself these questions. How 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 are we doing it? Right? Not just following Jesus ourselves, but how are we doing it? the baton and helping someone else follow. How would you 
there's the other side of these verses. Those of you who are younger in the faith, or you're younger age-wise than me, what would you ask for? Elisha requests something truly wise. He asks for the blessing that would normally be given to the firstborn son of the family, the, the double portion. Here, that blessing is going to be true. sort of encouragement and trust to, to take a step of faith, uh, the sort of uh, a backup from an older, wiser Christian, someone willing to say, you know, hey, I, I'm in your corner. It's okay if you make a mistake. I'll help you through it. small church in the metropolis of Gilbert, Iowa. At the time, it had only two schools. Now they've got like four something. I don't know, two now. One stop sign. I think there's four or five stop signs. It's a right little farm town north of Iowa. Um, growing up there, very small church. Not many children were used. We were all about the same age. All of us literally within two grades of each other. And the pastor really took an interest in each of us trying to build up us. And I remember one of the times um, he'd, he'd asked me to give a, a message uh, on a mission trip that we were going on. I'd never preached before. I'd never done anything like this. And, and his words to me have stuck with me all these years later. He said, number one, it'll be okay. Stick with God's word. Say what it says. It'll be fine. And it doesn't have to be some miraculous, you know, everything changes and light comes down from heaven. If God does that, great. We'll both go to heaven. But faithfulness is usually not the very first color technique that we think. Usually it's just, what does God's word say? Is this right? But then the second thing he said, tell them I'm behind you. Hey, if you mess up, I'm still there with you. I, I'm not going to say, you blew it, I'm done. You know, you, you, you might as well just, you're on the outside at this point. I'm going to help you with that. I'm going to help you grow. Right? That was one of the most encouraging things for me as a pastor. If you ever had someone in your life like that, I would encourage you. Someone in your corner. You need the confidence that someone's not going to step all over you if you make a mistake. Perhaps the request that you ought to be asking is something like, I need wisdom, I need your example, and I'm willing to go out of my way to give it. Elisha story, three times now, Elijah has basically said, hey, I've got work to do, um, you can stay behind, it's fine, you don't have to come with me today. No, no, I'm with you. You're going to be in the trenches. I'm going to be there with you. doesn't take no for an answer, does it? Maybe sometimes that's what we need. 
that could be happening, right? But Elijah's answer is ultimate hope, is that Elisha will get this blessing if he will quit smoking and not drinking. And in a short time, that's exactly what's going to happen. So we have that wonderful scene with the the chariots of fire that come down. Uh, There's a whirlwind that takes Elijah up. I can only imagine. Right? And and what does he ask for? Elisha. Something more. That's quite a statement to say, yes. I'm prepared to feel a certain sense of loss when the Lord changes things. But that's not where we stop. And that brings me to my third and final point, which is now what? Changes have come. Now what do we do? Read these last few verses and we'll see. Look at verse 13. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? struck the water. The water was parted to the one side and to the other as Elisha went over. Is that true? Let's look. Struck the Lord. Struck the Lord. See, what happens now is that Elisha takes up the cloak of Elijah. Literally, the, the cloak that, in my mind, I have this like Elijah's going up, and the cloak just, you know, sort of very artistically, right? Rather sad, right? You know, lands there, I'm sure, perfectly folded, right at Elisha's feet. You know, like a little gift, a little parting gift. Probably not quite how it happened, but Elisha picks up this cloak. He literally takes up the mantle. The only way we get that phrase that we get in King James continues with the ministry of Elijah. He does what Elijah just did. Elijah parted the water. God does it through Elijah. Now Elisha is able to do it. The power of God rests on him. This isn't the first time we've seen transitions like that, by the way. Elisha, much like Joshua to Moses, goes back then to the place of ministry. He gets into the temple and does it by himself. And it isn't that what Elisha's words mean. You know, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? I think sometimes we read that in a, like a eerie, sarcastic way. Where is God? I don't think we should. There's no reason in Hebrew we should think of it that way. He takes up the cloak just like he saw his master do follows and he does exactly what his master had done, trusting that the same God will work through him. I can only imagine that in that question that was asked of all of our, okay, Lord, you know, are, are, are you with me now? Or are you going to be the same God who worked mightily you know, through, my, through my master, through the people of the past? And Church, 
same God is the chief overseer of faith and faith. His power has not dwindled from Elijah's day. Do you believe that, by the way? It's not the point of my sermon, but maybe, maybe for some of you that needs to be it. Do you believe that the God we serve today still does miracles that bring him glory? The faithful folks that the Lord raised up in the past, they they haven't exhausted God's plans for us. It's not as if our best days are somehow behind us. No, Christ tells us that the best days are yet to come. But he's returning. And we will enjoy him in a world with no more sickness crying out for people, in a world with no more death. That day is coming. And we're marching In the meantime, though, change and transition come. If Stephen Messick reigned, if Luther hadn't passed on what God had taught him from the Word, the Reformation would have died then and there. Was his work with him in a very different way today? Perhaps not even saying anything in Christ at all. If previous pastors and volunteers here at First and Free hadn't trusted the Lord and passed the baton, then none of us would be sitting here this morning. We would have closed our doors several pastors and brothers ago. But the amazing truth of what we're reading is that God's mission involves every Christian, young, old, every background, whatever skills you have, or, or perhaps what you don't think you This is an amazing truth of what God is doing in his church, and it's a truth that was recovered in the Reformation. As much as our own lives, as our own church changes, God is still at work. He's an everyday servant of his people. So here's the challenge. I know there's a lot here in these verses. And I've seen the Holy Spirit probably applied them to each of you in some different ways. Whatever those ways look like, maybe you are new to Christ and everything's quite literally changing for you spiritually. Will you trust the Lord in that way? Just as you have trusted Him for saving. Maybe you're long in Christ and you look back and it feels like your best days are behind you. Health is getting to be more and more of a problem. The world is changing. You're not sure you like all the changes. Hey, join the club. I don't think anyone likes all the changes. And you wonder, is God just done? What, what am I here for? Would you trust that God is still at work? Maybe you're a leader here at First E3. Whether you're on the board, whether you're a leader in kind of one of our other ministries or a Sunday school, and you're thinking, hey, you know, this is great. I've done this for so many years. You know, this is a part of me, and I love it. So can see a day when it's all about to change. Will you trust the Lord for whatever that needs to look like, whatever it needs to feel like? 
This is really a question of will we trust God and will we trust one another? Will we intentionally hand over leadership and hope to each new generation of disciples? Will we display this sort of humble but but profound trust in the Lord? Especially foreigners, you know. I was just reading last night. I don't normally do this on Saturday nights, but I was reading a theology book last night. Yes, it was J.C. Ryle, okay, I'm a broken record, that's fine. You know, what was shocking to me is he was describing the church in the United Kingdom in the mid-1860s, 1870s. Almost every problem seemed highly needed. Every trend in the church, every bit of, well, we need to do this to attract more people, and how are we going to, you know, meet the budget here, and if we don't. It was the exact same things that you and I are told today. And you get to the end of this article, and what does he come away with? He comes away with this. He says, child Don't try to morph it into something else, but hold forth this faith that God has been passing on from generation to generation through the Reformation, through all those that come before us, through the history of faith we see. And he'll say, and for you. We are to embrace and hold out the gospel, the good news that has been so clearly prized in the past, but prize it in the present and keep trying to prize it in the future. And trust the disciples to trust the Lord. Okay? Well, let's pray. Let's pray with this text. Heavenly Father, our lives bears the marks of uncertainty because none of us are God. None of us are Jewish God. We all have things we wish were different about ourselves, about our whatever we are, our family, our job, our environment, our home, our nation, our world. And yet none of us has the power to change everything that we might want. Certainly none of us has the wisdom to change it in the way that we should. And oh Lord, for those needing to hear, for those in our church who are needing to hear, for our prayer is that you would continue the work that you begin here in us together and each individually. That you would make us faithful followers of you. That you would give us an an unshakable, rock-solid, foundational trust in our Savior such that we would not be blown around by the winds of this world, such that we would not be given to despair by the accusations of the devil, such that we would not bend down to the idols of our own hearts, but that instead we would look to you
this morning.